0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Thank you are the first two words that come to mind. This is our 100th episode of Convo by Design. There have been a number of partnerships and over 150 amazing people featured in the first 100 episodes of the podcast. While it was not possible to feature everyone who's been on the show, I did want to spotlight a few. Convo by Design was created to showcase those doing amazing things in the home and design industry. In two years and 100 episodes, you've heard from designers, architects, artists, builders, set decorators, visionaries, policymakers, product manufacturers. You have hopefully uh, applied some of the principles to your work, be it in interior spaces or elsewhere. Convo by Design is truly a labor of love. It has been an absolute joy getting to know more about the remarkable people in the shelter space. I'm grateful for the time we've spent together. I appreciate your talent, your artistry, and your time. I also appreciate you. And by you, I mean those who download the episodes every single week, listen to the episodes, email me back, letting me know what you heard, what you liked, even those on occasion who told me what you'd like to see in the future. I appreciate it, every single one of them. Convo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond. Many Convo by Design listeners already know this. For those new to the show, Russ Diamond, second-generation president of Snyder Diamond, has been the show's presenting sponsor since day one. We've had numerous conversations about design, designers, travel, and business, and that's where all of this comes together. Russ loves what he does. He cares about his customers, his employees, and his partners. Russ travels the world, looking for the most innovative products and appliances for the kitchen and bath. He searches the world for the newest products and emerging technology and styles so you don't have to, to find those products that simply and elegantly make life better. The company was founded in 1949 and has been working with designers and architects helping their clients create the kitchens and baths of their dreams ever since. Russ doesn't just travel the world looking for products, he gets to know the companies and the people behind the products He learns their corporate philosophy, their manufacturing process. He gets to see their attention to detail before he'll offer the products in his showrooms. Designers and architects want their clients to be the best they can in their new kitchens and relax in their new bath. Snyder Diamond can help you make their dreams a reality. They have three Southern California showrooms. You can find them online at SnyderDiamond.com. Thank you, Russ, for helping us get to 100 episodes. With that being said, I'll start with Russ Diamond and a segment from our conversation in episode 18 about travel and sourcing product. I talk about this a lot. You travel the world looking for products.
1: How are are you sourcing your products these days? Well, I'm always looking for great design. So, that's the first thing. And one of the reasons why I travel, I try to find different applications, different uh, ways people are presenting product. And um, I also want to be somewhat pragmatic as, will it work? Now, we have some uh, issues as it relates to, especially in California, in terms of regulatory, whether it be water efficient, or uh, uh, I want to make sure that the manufacturers, for the most, most of the time, have the necessary approvals and they understand what's involved in getting their products into the United States. So I consult a lot with manufacturers all over the world. They call me to figure out how they can get products into our market and whether or not there's going to be a possibility because there's this grand vision not only in Europe but also in Asia that the United States has 300, you know, million people that it's a big market for them. But when you start to skew towards the higher end of the product, it really condenses down quite rapidly. So there isn't that many marketplaces that uh, that uh, are able to absorb some of the products that we're showing. Luckily, Los Angeles, New York, Miami, Chicago, and pockets in between uh, do accommodate uh, being able to represent some of the more high-design-oriented products. But I like to know who I'm dealing with, so a lot of times, not only am I looking at the manufacturing process, but I'm looking at the principles of the company, the makeup of the workforce. Is it a small company, family-run, kind of similar to us? And a lot of the, you know, German and Italian and some of the French companies are small businesses like, kind of like us. I, I call us a kind of a small business and you know what's the pride behind being able to you know design and build and service a product so i want to make sure when it gets to our shores not only does it get here in one piece undamaged which doesn't always happen but uh, you know what is the responsiveness of the manufacturer or the or the company that we're dealing with so i want to make sure because when it goes into uh, our customers home i want to make sure that's a it's a great experience
0: I got to know Christine Anderson a few years ago. Christine has both been featured on the show and has been a guest correspondent for Combo by Design. Christine is an absolute PR pro. She is also a very skilled interviewer. Here she is speaking with an amazing multidiscipline designer and her good friend, Francesca Garcia Marquez. Marquez is a master of interior design, graphic design, brand development, event curation, and historical restoration, hence the multidiscipline designer title. She worked for the Pacific Design Center, produced nine West Week design conferences, and her work has been published in reviews such as La Arca, Domus, and Progressive Architecture. Here she is discussing her start in design.
2: Let's start from, the, from just an interior design point of view. How did you get involved in interior design, and did you ever imagine you would be doing this?
3: Well, I guess I started in Milan, where I worked for Gio Ponti, who basically designed everything from the teaspoon, to skyscrapers, and who was the founder of Domus Magazine, so that's how I started off becoming so um, interdisciplinary, That's if you very will. exciting,
2: to work with him.
3: Very. And um, I worked with some other, also multidisciplinary designers there. And then I moved here in the late 80s. And my first job here was at Pacific Design Center, where I was... Um, where well, I was hired by the marketing department and where I became director of programs and exhibitions, principally working on Westwick. But I was hungry for interiors projects mm-hmm. and design projects, so I kept looking at the classified ads. And one day I saw an ad that said, minimalist designer wanted for Bauhaus exhibition. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> this is me, this is me. So I went to the interview, and that's how I met the phenomenal Bernard Zimmerman. Oh, yes, who we
2: love, and that, that's that's one of our greatest yeah. losses in design.
3: Right, and um, we didn't do that exhibition immediately, but he immediately hired me to work on the interiors of Citrus Restaurant that he was doing at the time with his partner, David Ovid And... Um, I went on with other work to do other work with them, such as the Ramada Hotel West Hollywood, which was actually the first boutique hotel in LA and won an award from Restaurant Design International that's now Hospitality Design. And we worked on a few other things, um, Hamburger Hamlet and so on together. And then in a couple of years or so I started my own studio. Working on well, operating in all the fields that you're talking about. Right, and interiors, let's not forget graphic design, by the way. Yeah, interiors, <laughs> graphic design, branding, exhibitions, and then you know curating also programs and exhibitions. And while I was doing that, I um, I also I was also working with the design center at that. Then I started working with them on a consulting basis, but also on West Weeks, and I did that for about nine years until 2000. Um let's see some of the interiors projects that of mine that I've worked on. Well there was Zenzero restaurant Right. you remember in Santa Monica where you know I did the interiors, the graphics, the branding and so on. You sort
2: of did everything except work in the kitchen. Honestly, <laughs> I mean and that place really
3: is it was a signature for you. It
2: was a very stunning contemporary restaurant. It was. Restaurant.
3: Yeah, and um well, that pr- in that project, I was hired by the architects. Um, that was um, Nikon America and um, Takaze Associates. And so I was working on the interiors. I wasn't actually working on the architecture. Um, but otherwise, everything else, yeah. Right. Then I did Cafe Synapse at the Gondon Neuroscience and Genetics Research Center at UCLA where I also did the architectural interior and the, um, and the lighting, and that also won an award.
0: Another conversation hosted by Christine Anderson was with editor-in-chief of Interiors magazine, Erica Heat. A few things really stood out for me. Erica is dedicated to making the trade better than she founded, and that she started as a reader, then became a contributor, later to become editor-in-chief. Very impressive. Well-deserved. Here's Erica Heat.
2: Um, Erica is the um, Editor-in-Chief of Interiors Magazine and as Editor-in-Chief you have a lot of responsibility and you've taken over a very interesting, already beautiful magazine and taken it in some exciting new directions. And I'd love to hear what your plans have been so far and what they will be moving forward.
4: Great. Well, uh, I'd like to start by saying that I was a subscriber first to Interiors. And then I became a contributor seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to be named editor-in-chief one year ago. It was never my intention for it to be the Erica show. This is not (laughs) about one person. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a collaborative effort. It is my intention to continue to offer the design world the most beautiful, most intelligent design, architecture, art, artisans, and thinkers in the design world today who are truly making a difference.
2: Well, it's a gorgeous magazine. I mean, just at first glance, you look at interiors, and if you haven't been familiar with it, you start to read it, you see the photography, the caliber is outstanding. It's very original in terms of the angles. And the thing that comes to my mind is that it reminds me of the world of interiors publication, which is so revered. So I wondered if that was an inspiration for you um, in working with interiors, or whether you really are trying to do something that's quite distinct and different.
4: Well, it's mostly the latter, although I'm very, very happy to be uh, in the same breath as a world of interiors. I've always been a fan, and I do see that we have a, a similar aesthetic and approach. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to go very, very bright or very, very dark, uh, and we have this a similar Uh, attitude and uh, reverence for the beauty in design, and allowing design to shine and uh, speak for itself on the page, giving it a chance to breathe.
0: If you want to understand the value that architects and designers bring to a property, listen to Brett Parsons on the subject. From episode 50, here's Brett Parsons.
1: What do architects and designers mean to the value of a home? More and more, we are so busy with whatever our respective careers are, so we're looking for those markers about what's quality. For example, a woman may love a Chanel suit, and just the word Chanel tells you the quality. The same thing goes for homes more and more. We're so busy, we don't know a lot about our homes, but if it has a name associated, it's a fabulous pedigree. So if you have usually an architect, but sometimes an interior designer, if that name's associated with the home, you're not not asking as many questions because you've already reached a quality threshold that you're satisfied with. But architects add a great deal of value to a home because they're a known quantity. And we're not buying homes at that level anymore, we're buying sculpture and we're, we're, we're buying works of art. And if there's a name associated with it, it can increase the value significantly.
0: Some of my favorite designers started out in fashion and became highly sought after in this new discipline. Cliff Fong. Who you know as a fashion designer and interior designer, as well as reality show judge on Ellen's design challenge on HGTV, Cliff brings his fashion style and diverse upbringing together in his interior design. Here he is from episode 66 on philosophy of interior design and fashion. Cliff Fong. Did the, the teeter-totter of passion and love, did it, did it switch from, from fashion to interior design?
5: Um, not, not so much. I wouldn't say it was a huge switch or shift. It was more, um, I think, the idea that, that there became more interesting projects. And, and things sort of phased out a little bit with, with fashion and, and more towards things that were kind of maybe more immediately gratifying in, in, inter- in the, kind of the interior design world, where fashion is one of those industries where um, you have to put a lot, a lot of effort in up front before you actually see any kind of manifestation of your, your inspiration or creative work. And then later, you're lucky if it gets received well.
0: See, that's so interesting to me because I, I, when I when I think about it, I would think of fashion as more temporary.
5: Uh, it is for sure. I, I mean, it's uh, we're we're talking about two industries that primarily function um, in the luxury market. So, so the things that hold those industries together sometimes are a little bit flimsy, <laughs> right? They're they're not uh, necessary f- for the most part. But some people find you know patronage of those two industries more more necessary than others and and of course those are the people that I enjoy working with the most people who have like a meaningful love for design or at the time people who have a meaningful love for fashion people who understand um that it's more than just you know something to cover your body or more than just something to supposedly impress people or 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 uh you know, get photographed in. Really, it's a manner of communication. And I think um, when people think about designing their homes, if they do it thoughtfully, it's about communicating something very personal and not just making it feel comfortable or living in something that feels like a nice hotel. So to me, they're they're very kind of complementary industries, but if you don't, or if I didn't concentrate on them in the way that I do, I think, um, well, one, I'd be a different kind of designer, but I would also probably, find it, find the interest level not sustaining if I didn't find something important philosophically about it.
0: Another designer who started out in fashion. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. From episode 66, Esti Stanley talks about interning at L'Homme Vogue and how the worst job ever turned into the best career opportunity possible. Here she is, Esti Stanley. Are you an interior designer first? You're a fashion designer first, but now after you've been doing it for so long, not so long. So long. Yeah, long. Are you a fashion designer first or an interior designer first?
6: I think I'm more of an interior designer now. Are you? Yeah, I think I do more of that than styling anymore.
0: Okay. I heard you in an interview where you told the story of how you got into fashion design. Oh. A you were with you were were you interning with Vogue or yeah, Lamo Vogue? Yeah. Was the
6: assistant to Lamo Vogue. And the so editor.
0: you get thrown into a huge. Project.
6: The worst thing that ever happened to me slash the best.
0: Tell me about that.
6: <laughs> so I needed a job, and uh, my girlfriend was the an agent to stylists, and the editor for Lomo Vogue was coming out to LA to do like the September issue. Which, if you don't know what the September issue is, it's the biggest issue of the year. It's like five hundred pages and she got me the job somehow and I went to go pick him up at the airport and this like really handsome Italian guy came you know into my car so I was like ooh, you know it was like I'm like 20 years old I thought it was like something was gonna happen exciting (laughs) not work he takes me I drop him off at the hotel he handed me van keys and said go pick up the van it's underneath the building I went Pick up the van and go back to the airport. There's 20 trunks of clothes there. You need to go pick them up.
0: So it's getting glamorous already. Yeah. Yeah. Like
6: I was like suicidal (laughs) at this point. So I go do that and I have to go set everything up at this loft in West Hollywood that was, it was the middle of summer. It was three stories up with no elevator with me by myself schlepping all these trunks. And it was so intense. I thought I was like in the army. It was the craziest thing I've ever done. Like part of me wanted to quit, but I couldn't like do that to my friend, you know? She'd never speak to me again. And I'm just like, it's not that I had a great job ethic yet cause I'd never really had a job, but I just knew I wasn't allowed to do that, you know? Um, so I set up, I never slept there was so much clothes and everything had to be organized like by men and designer and tie and I didn't really know men's clothing so I kind of had to memorize everything because he was going to come in with like a hundred models and like show me the Brioni polka dot tie and I didn't know what a Brioni was you know what I mean like I knew women's fashion so it was an intense night never slept learned everything and then the next I I think I worked like 40 hours straight because the shoot was like Probably another 18 hours.
0: What did you learn from that experience that, that has stuck with you?
6: I've learned to I've learned to be super organized that really taught me to be super super organized um, and I think I learned that you you like can't be a quitter like you can't quit if somebody gives you something to do, you have to figure out how to do it no matter what no matter how terrible it is, no matter how bad you don't want to do it. if you sign up for something you have to do it. <laughs>
0: Michael Hayden is an artist that works in light, neon light. We met in 2015 at the rededication of his Generators of the Cylinders in downtown Los Angeles' Pershing Square. I say rededication because the work was first powered in 1982 on the Skidmore, Owing, and Merrill Building that LA Times architecture and design critic called an overwhelming loser. The only saving grace, as the critic put it, John Dreyfus. Uh, was the 270-foot neon sculpture created by Hayden as, quote, beautiful, fascinating, and dazzling, end quote. Michael Hayden has spent over half a century creating art with light. Here he is from episode number three, discussing the rededication and relighting after being dark since the early 2000s. <laughs> So, this project was unveiled in 1981. When did you first... St- 82, when, 82, sorry, 80, 82. When did you start this project, and when, when did it go into initial design?
7: Well, I, I, in 81, there was this uh, RFQ, a, a request for qualifications, and I had already had a couple of decades of experience uh, under my belt. I've now been uh, half a century of making sculptures with light. Um, so. My credentials my, uh, that I submitted, which were images of former pieces, sufficiently impressed the, uh, the people from the Community Redevelopment Agency, from Cabot, Cabot, and Forbes, who were the first developers of the building, and uh, the architects, uh, Skidmore Owings and Merrill. And so I was asked to come in and get personally interviewed, and of course, um, I had ideas of what I wanted to do. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I wanted to make a piece that was going to envelop the pedestrians on the street. I wanted to make a sculpture that wasn't a standalone. Um, there's uh, Jim Wines has called it the uh, bronze turd in the park. I wanted to make something that was exciting to look at, something that was different every day, and something that you encountered without, and it's a phrase that I've enjoyed. It's, you didn't have to be a card-carrying member of... Uh, an art gallery to be able to get in to see it. It was there every day, 24-7, and that's what we have here, something that is exciting. Day, you know, In the daytime, the holography works. At nighttime, the, the neon works.
0: Kyle Schooneman was featured in episode 23. Kyle is a very talented designer with big ambitions and very clear goals for his brand. He's an author, TV personality, highly sought after designer, and brand manager with his own product line and multiple retailers. Kyle shares some of his thoughts on how he approaches brand development, which starts by first knowing his brand and understanding who he is as a designer.
8: I sent an email to like KTLA at KTLA.com. Like it was something like, oh, super, really, like, really official. Scenario. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and that's what I'm saying. Like that's, and they responded. That's... It could have been their contact form, for all I know. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
0: so did did that turn into anything?
8: Yeah, so that snowballed. And so people actually, a lot of L.A. residents watch that show. Um, I was surprised by that because I would think, like, oh, they watch the Today Show or whatever. But a lot of people watch it. And so – Um, I would get, like, small, like, apartment jobs out of it, or I would get, you know, a staging job out of it, or people would email me. I mean, it was just – it was garnering interest at at the end of the day. And from that, I mean, I really learned that, like, press begets press. And then L.A. Magazine at one point named me their, like, Tastemaker of the Month. And that, like – you know what I mean? So, like, it kind of just snowballed from that kind of stuff. Um, But it was very much, like, knocking on doors and, like – 99 of them saying no and one one of them saying yes. I don't think people always say like oh you're so lucky and I was like no honestly like I just hound people until they let me go away.
0: Well that's that's great but the question is is it is it tougher to get it the first time or is it tougher to keep the momentum going?
8: It's tougher to keep the momentum going um, because no one wants to write about you that they already have. (laughs) Um so I think that's always the the challenge for sure it's uh it's more about um constantly coming up with excuses to be written about if you're talking about press specifically
0: yeah how how do you do that what's what's your process for doing that
8: for approaching press
0: no for listen i think it's similar in design when you get a new job you start yeah. with you start with a clean slate You talk to your clients you try to figure out what your clients are actually looking for and then and then you draw from within to try to come up with a a match for that right yeah so when when you're looking at your own brand and your own brand development Mm -hmm. now you're drawing from okay here's here's who i want to be perceived as as a designer as a personality as a brand and i want and i want to further that so from a creative standpoint for your own brand how do you have a process
8: yeah, for sure. I think it's very easy to um succumb to not having the backbone of your brand because I think there are tons of things that people want to write about or things that would be great to be in. But like I I don't fit into Architectural Digest and there's no reason for for them to write about me and there's no reason for me to approach them. Uh I think they're amazing, but uh I need to stick to what I know and what I know is like I design you know, for young people, for millennials, that's what the book's about. That's what my products are. That's how I'm in my twenties, you know, so these are, those are, that's my lane and I can be unapologetically staying in my lane and not want to be Kelly Wurstler. I don't want to be, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I think that stuff is amazing um, and I appreciate it, but it's just, it's just not me.
0: William DiBiasio, a set decorator member of the Set Decorator Society of America, who has credits on many of the TV shows and movies we all love. They include Pretty Little Liars, Alias, Chuck, Crank, and Melrose Place, just to name a few. As a set decorator, there are a lot of challenges and not a lot of time to address them. Take that into account and the fact that his client is also not a real person to whom he can ask questions but words on a page. That's all William gets to go by. It's a job that William loves, and here he is from episode 42 talking about the best parts of being a set decorator.
9: The best part about my job is having an idea and um, seeing it uh, kind of all come to fruition before your eyes, sometimes in literally hours. Literally. It's like you have a vision in your mind and you're interacting with several different crews and several different departments and several different people who all have jobs that they need to get done. Uh, But the bottom line is once the set is dressed, then the actors are ready to have the playgrounds to do their playing. Uh, And sometimes that happens literally in hours. And you just literally, it feels like you see magic happen in front of your eyes. Because I have a really great crew and everyone knows... Uh, what their job and their task is, so once they start doing the project, it, 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 it almost becomes something that I don't even have to give a lot of direction. They know what needs to happen and I just start seeing it all appear. Takashi Yanai is a
0: Los Angeles-based architect and was featured in episode 81. He brings an artistic philosophy to his work and it shows in his unique approach to the work. Takashi talks about his love of architecture, poetry, photography, and his path to architecture. In in most creative de- endeavors, I, the theory is that you don't really find
10: them, that they kind of find you. How did, how did it happen? Uh-huh. Uh, that's a good question. Well, no, I'm one of those kids who kind of knew. I mean, there, there are a couple callings, you know, like I love photography, uh, I like literature, but discovered very early that I was a good fan of literature but I was not a good writer Uh, but architecture is one of those things I was always um, uh, I really was drawn to from the time I was a little kid and uh, you know somewhat a meandering path I studied literature in college and I did some other things I was an editor for an architecture magazine but somehow I always knew that one day I would wind up in design and being an architect.
0: Okay, so was it was it frustrating for you, being that you love literature, that you weren't as comfortable writing, or that you felt you weren't as good at writing, as
10: uh, as you wanted to be? Was that frustrating? Uh, no, not frustrating. I mean, I think it was just a path. So I had a poetry teacher, a very good poet, and he used to say that poets understood space better than architects, and uh, everyone loved that line um, in class, but. You know, I knew that was not true, and uh, I knew that, uh, conversely, that architects were better poets than poets. So I think it was part of the road to affirming for me how important design was. Ryan
0: White has been a design staple on Convo by Design due to the job he did on our first ever social lounge and stage from West Edge 2016. Ryan is a very talented man, fun to talk to, and knows what he's doing. He's also a remarkable designer. Here he is, uh, Ryan White from episode ninety-four, talking about the Convo by Design social lounge and stage. Uh we are we are now two and a half weeks out. About two and a half weeks out. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't scare me. Right? <laughs> we started talking about this at about two and a half months out. Mm-hmm. So tell me how you're feeling now. And and it, it's interesting too because we're we're gonna be following up with you, you know every every few days maybe once or twice a week um how are you feeling now
11: i'm feeling pretty good um in a way of i i, th- I think it's coming together everything uh, and my biggest concern i think is just kind of the day of the day before the build outs which is like any project when you have an installation you never know what can happen there's always the unknown so if someone who's a bit of a perfectionist um the unknown is always a little bit scary, but it's also what fuels, I think, most artistic people is you really never know where you're going to end up. I have it in my mind where I might end up. I hope to get 80% there. Um, If I do, that usually means we're in a really great place because I never expect what's in my mind to transpire 100% because that would be unrealistic. And um, I believe that that's a benefit not to make myself go crazy in that way because my 80% is mostly you know, another person's hundred (laughs) percent. So that's, you know, at least I know that about myself. Um, so yeah, I think for now I'm feeling just super excited to see the outcome because I do believe, I mean, we have the floor plan layouts, we have all the vendors secured. We have most of the design when it comes to the bar that we're building your area and your desk and all those exciting elements to this uh, space. So now it's just seeing them get implemented and that's a little bit, um, It's exciting.
0: And with that, I will call it a wrap on the first 100 episodes of Convo by Design. I would like to offer my sincere and heartfelt thank you to everyone who's been a part of the show. Each interview, every panel, to Russ Diamond and the amazing team at Snyder Diamond for your sponsorship and partnership, to Christine Anderson for her interviews, and segment producer Andrew Lindy for his hard work and expert production skills, and of course, to you. For downloading, listening, joining in the conversations on social media, coming, coming out uh, to visit us at the events from which we record. Without you, there is no Convo by Design. So thank you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next 100 episodes. <laughs>